Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day from Movement. Whether your mom is into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, Movement has something she'll love. And right now, everything at Movement is up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale. A watch is a gift that celebrates all the time you spent with mom. And a Movement watch is even more than that. Movement uses industry-leading materials for their fresh modern watch designs, from technically complex ceramics to vintage-inspired style, all for an incredible value your wrist and wallet will both love. And with one-size-fits-all convenience and fast-free shipping and returns, it's a stress-free shopping experience. Save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with Movement. Get up to 50% off site-wide during their Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. Did the Vatican try hiding proof that holy icons can be possessed by the devil? And then we take a look at the story of a man who almost dies and has a vision of his death. Today on Dead Rabbit Radio. Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Dead Rabbit Radio. I'm your host, Jason Carpenter. I'm having a great day. Hope you guys are having a great day too. We got a bunch of stuff to get started with. Coming into Dead Rabbit Command is one of our legacy Patreon supporters. Give it up for Joe S. Everyone give a round of applause to Joe S. He's walking on in. He's tumbling into Dead Rabbit Command. Joe, you're going to be our captain, our pilot this episode. If you guys can't support the Patreon, that's fine too. Just help spread the word about the show. You guys have no idea how much that means. Word of mouth is king with podcasts. So I need you guys telling people about it. Talk about it online. Talk about it to your friends. It really, really is important to spread the word about the show. Joe S., I'm going to go ahead and toss you the oars to the Dead Rabbit rowboat. We're leaving behind Dead Rabbit Command. We are sailing all the way out to Milan, Italy. Splishity splash. Splishity splash. Those are the oars in the water. I realized the other day I don't really have a sound effect for the Dead Rabbit rowboat. That's the sound of the oars hitting the water. Splishity splash. And as we're sailing out there, first off, let's go ahead. I want to issue a update. A Dead Rabbit Radio update, breaking update. Episode 676, I had an episode called He Tested His Time Machine on Himself. It was the story of Mike Madman Markham. It was a great episode. It's one of my favorite recent episodes. I really, really love that one. But in that episode, I made a claim that a Minecraft game was haunted by a third player. And it was about how open world games themselves are kind of spooky, and who knows what's going on in the programming. And what happened was I was watching Fruitberries vs. Illumina. I know your eyes are, I know your eyes are glazing over, just like whenever your nephew talks to you about Minecraft, but uh, Fruitberries vs. Illumina, they're two of the best Minecraft players in the world. They're fighting each other, and I saw a third player in there. Even one of them, I think it was Illumina, turned and looked and go, hey, are you over there? Like, it tricked him. And I had this segment about who knows what's going on in the background of these open worlds. And I still stand by that. We don't know what goes on in the open worlds, but this mystery has been solved thanks to Corey NJ. I thought it was a third player in enchanted armor jumping into a lake. It turns out it was a dolphin. <laughs> You're like, Jason, <laughs> Jason, how did you... How did you confuse a dolphin with a man in whatever armor you said? Well, 
It's easy to confuse. Like, even Corey and James, they said they'd been playing the game since beta. They said they slowed it down and they magnified it and they were able to see it. And once Corey and Jay said that, I went back and rewatched it. And yes. So I wanted to make that correction. I wanted to make that update. That was a claim I was making specifically. Every so often I'll cover stories and, and this, the episode will be out. And sometimes there might be a slight alteration to the news. Like uh, Church Going Mule. I covered a story recently about a guy banging a donkey in El Salvador and he gave birth to another donkey. Church Going Mule did some more research on it and he goes, this seems to be a story that's floating around in Spanish-speaking countries. He goes, when I looked for it in Spanish newspapers, there was like a story that said it happened in Argentina. There was a story that it said it happened in Mexico, I believe. It, and people were saying it was a hoax and stuff like that. That was a story I wasn't going to stop the presses and announce. The story about the half-even-half-donkey may not have happened in El Salvador. It seems the photos are real, but we don't know the origin of the photos. But when I make a claim... When I make a claim, and that was my conspiracy theory, I definitely wanted to come forward and go, there's new evidence, and that particular instance is not... It's a dolphin. It's a dolphin. If we can make a shirt that just says, it's a dolphin, and that'll be in the Ted Rabbit store soon enough, we have to own our mistakes. And I don't really know if I would say this was... I guess it was a mistake. I did think it was a man in armor, and it was a dolphin, but I think it's so important... For paranormal, and I could, and also I'd recently talked about the Dybbuk box and Zach Baggins, and you have to come forward and say, you have to come forward and go, I had a belief. This it's a, this is a mild one, and that's the great thing about putting out a daily podcast. Honestly, if I spent weeks and weeks and weeks putting together shows, and I had a thirty-minute video that was super slick, and then someone goes, oh, excuse me, no, that's not real. It'd be much harder for you to back down because you spent so much time making that. For me. I'm putting together daily content, so when people go, that's not real, which doesn't happen that often, honestly. I mean, people may quibble. Like, I have this guy telling me that I should drink my own pee. He's doing it right now. He's knocking on my door. He's trying to give me drink pee. On an episode I did a long time ago about Ormus, he keeps messaging. Yeah, I wouldn't say keeps. He's left, like, two or three comments. But he's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Pee's good for you and all that. I'll put that episode in the show notes. But... Because you I have no idea what you're talking about, but I'll get call- people will try calling me out on stuff like that. But if and and they're wrong, but I'm not going to drink my pee. But on a situation like this where I make the claim, I need to come forward and say I was wrong. And I wish more paranormal people would do this. When you're putting out an episode once a day, it does help because I don't have a, a horse in this. I don't have a dolphin in this fight. But again, thank you, Corey and Jay, for checking that out and church going mule as well for doing more research but el salvador will always have the donkey boy in my heart we're rowing on out to milan we're specifically headed to portanari chapel that's in the basilica of sant eustagorio in milan now everyone shh, quit laughing at my mispronunciations we're walking into the tomb of a saint This story was sent to me by Dead Rabbit Radio listener Sad Paperclip. This was great. It's funny. This is actually a good segue. It's a follow-up to an episode I did called Can Demons Disguise Themselves as Holy Icons? It was the end of season 14. But you don't have to listen to that episode to get the context of this. It's exactly what it sounds like. The question was, Is can demons or dark forces disguise themselves as holy figures? And just a quick overview. That one had three, if I remember correctly, three girls in Russia? Eastern Europe, running away from the Virgin Mary, who seemed a little menacing. And she was like floating after them. And then she was like standing, just standing creepily at their neighbor's house, 
just watching them from the distance. And the question was, is could a demon disguise itself as a Virgin Mary? And Sad Paperclip sent me this article and basically said, yeah, I think it could. I've actually got a lot of really good feedback on that episode. That's another one of my recent favorite episodes. But he sent me this story. We're in the Tomb of the Saint. And this is the tomb of Saint Peter Martyr. That's setting your kid up. Like, why would your last name be Martyr? Right? Then you're just asking him. That'd be like me having a kid and being like, you're now Johnny's suicide bomber. He's like, why can't I do something else? Like, no. Hang out with your sister, Susie Patient Zero. Like, you're setting them up. You know how they're going to die. They're going to be martyred. So Peter Martyr, this is the 13th century. He's an Italian Catholic priest. And he's actually, like, super controversial. Well, the Catholics love him. The Catholics love him today. He's a saint. But back then, the people around town were like, ah, we don't know about you, bro, because, one, your name's Martyr, so we assume you're going to die super violently. No one wants to hang out with him. He's like, hey, he wants to hang out in my house and play some cards. They're like, uh, I don't know. Today might be the day you, like, burst into flames or someone ties you to a catapult. You're going to get martyred, bro. He was controversial because you had this breakaway set of Christianity called the Cathars. Basically, Catholics were like, you guys, we'd rather hang out with witches than you guys. Now, 13th century is Inquisition time, so they are hanging out with the witches because they're torturing them. But the Cathars were up on the Inquisition list as well because the Cathars believe, and I know history majors are pulling their hair out every time I mispronounce something, but the Cathars believe in the duality of God, as in there's two of them. It's not this monotheism that Catholicism's practicing. They believe that the God of the New Testament is different than the God of the Old Testament. The God of the New Testament's a good guy because he's like, yeah, it doesn't matter what you do. It doesn't matter if you're a Jew or a Gentile, if you're a sinner. Like, I still got love for you, homie. Like, all this stuff in Jesus represents that. He's like, yeah, I don't care about what you did. I mean, like, quit sinning right now in front of me. But... I love you. I love you. You too. You, you're selling stuff in the synagogue. I'm going to beat you up. But at the end of the day, I love you, bros. The God of the Old Testament does, does seem like a different guy. Because he's like, your hair, you cut your hair, you're going to hell. Oh, you got that tattoo on your arm? Uh, sorry, bro. Like, he's pretty, pretty brutal. Now, it is different time periods. It is totally different time periods, but he does have a character. He does have a, God does have an interesting character arc through the Bible, but the Cathars believe that the God of the Old Testament is a totally different guy. It's not a character arc. It's not someone who grows. It's a dude named Rex Mundi, which means king of the world. It's actually like a separate individual. And they also believe like Jesus was not corporeal, that he was like a ghost floating around. He's like Casparine it all over the Holy Land. They were basically saying stuff specifically to mess with the Catholics, but they believed it. The Catholics were getting so mad at them. They're like, you know what? We've we've perfected all this torture with these witches. Why don't we use this on these Cathars? And <laughs> first first way we'll torture them is by mispronouncing their name. They're like, uh. So, so Peter Martyr was this Italian Catholic priest, and he was constantly in conflict with these Cathars in this area. And the Cathars are like, dude, this dude totally sucks. Let's take care of him. Let's make his last name finally mean something. So one day he's walking down the street. And a dude runs up behind him with an axe and hits him on the head so hard. This is the thing, okay? Let me pause it right here. A little bit of dramatic pause. I used to work in a morgue. And one of the first things you realize when you're around a lot of dead bodies is that people do not die in movie-type ways. 
Like when people get shot in movies, they go, ah, and they kind of fall down. There's an awful lot of gurgling. There's an awful lot of gurgling involved when people die, a lot of noises, a lot of smells. And it's not like when you hit someone with an axe on the head, it doesn't get stuck in the... I mean, these things can happen. It gets stuck in the head or the head goes flying off and then winks at a sexy lady as it's rolling along the ground. No. there's a, The human head is a, is a ball, right? It's like a oval type thing and an axe comes to a point so if you're running up behind someone and you're going to chop their head off or put an axe in your head there's a lot of things that can go wrong or right the assailant takes the axe and hits peter's head and cuts off just a piece of his brain i mean there's no it's 13th century italy that's a you're dead but not immediately like, it's not so dramatic that he's able to... Ch- he chops off a chunk of skull and a bit of brain go fly... You're like, Jason, damn it! <laughs> Dude, that's so gross. I know, I know. The The axe just chops off... Imagine if all of a sudden you lost one-tenth of your brain. Like, you look and it's laying on the ground. You'd probably freak out. <laughs> I'd probably freak out. I don't think anyone would freak out. But Peter Martyr, he takes his blow to his head... Probably about 10, 20% of his brain goes flying out, and he immediately begins this thing called the Apostles' Creed, which is the Bible version of Assassin's Creed. It's that lame game, the one you played at Vacation Bible School. He begins saying, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And as he's doing the Apostles' Creed, the other guy's like, Damn it, dude. Why'd you have to just chop off part of his brain and he gets stabbed? And it still takes him like four or five days to die. So at this point, Peter Martyr is actually the fastest person to go from death to sainthood. It's 11 months from the time he died to the time he became a saint. And when you look, I didn't know this, so I guess this kind of makes sense. When you look at pictures of Jesus, he's crucified. Not all the time. Sometimes he's like walking around talking to people. But a lot of times, especially in Catholicism, he's on the cross. I didn't know this was a thing, but apparently in Catholicism, the saints are drawn with the martyr, you know, the martyred saints are drawn with the way they're dead. I didn't know this was a thing. Because if you look at a painting, if you look at paintings, it's horrifying. This is so horrifying. If you look at paintings of Saint, now Saint Peter Martyr, there's an axe, there's like an axe in his head and a knife through his chest. And he's like talking to baby Jesus. It's so bizarre. I mean, I'm not trying, I mean... I I guess I I know I know I've lost every Catholic listener. I'm not trying to be insulting. I just didn't know there was a thing. Like it's super disturbing. And because he died, because this article said because he died of two different ways, they're both included. And it's almost it doesn't look like an axe. It looks like if you had a paper cutter at work and then you took the bolt off and then you stuck that in someone's head. That it's like this giant cleaver, and then he has a, a knife in him. And there's a painting of him talking to Jesus. But that's not why we're here. That's not why. We're, that's all incredibly fascinating. That's not why we're here. So Portinari Chapel is the tomb of Saint Peter Martyr, and they have all these frescoes and all these paintings, and you can go there. You pay a couple lira and you walk around. It's a great little experience. But in 1952, they were doing some sort of renovation and they were working on something, and they begin to chip away at the plaster on this wall, and they found a painting. A fresco from 1468 that had been covered up. They didn't, no one knew it was there. 
They've been covered up for hundreds of years at this point. And they take all the plaster off and they do restoration of the painting. And it was painted by a Renaissance master. It wasn't just some guy graffiti artist there. Vincenzo Foppa painted this. And it's the painting of St. Peter. He did no axe in his head at this point. And he's standing around a bunch of other people. And in front of him is the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus. Both of them with devil horns. So that's what Sad Paperclip sent me. He goes, you know, there's a story about St. Peter. He exorcised the devil from a statue of Mary. And the name of this painting is St. Peter Martyr exorcising a demon-possessed statue of the Virgin and Child. But there was no info on, like, the articles I was reading about it. They said we know when it was painted or around the time period. We know it was covered up. But we don't really know what event this was relating to. And whenever you, I searched for this, I kept bringing up stories about the plaster and this painting. But I couldn't find any event of when he showed up and when he exercised the devil from the statue. I was looking, I'm looking, I'm looking, I'm looking. I was about to give up. I came across an Atlas Obscura article. It wasn't a statue. Check this out. This is, this is the story. St. Peter finds out that this man, who was previously a Catholic, had joined the Cathars. And he's like, dang it, dude, now I gotta go and reconvert him or deconvert him, however it is. He goes, listen, you gotta be a Catholic again. This is no good news. Why are, why are you even toying with this idea of being a Cathar? And the friend of his goes, dude, you won't believe it. I went and I was hanging out with these other Cathar people. And the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus showed up. Like, I go to your church all the time. I ain't never seen none of that stuff. But I, I saw her and little baby Jesus. So who, what would you do? And now, St. Peter goes, this has to be a setup, right? This can't be real because I know that the Blessed Virgin Mary and baby Jesus is on our side. So he goes, you know, I'll go with you. I want to see this vision for myself. So he goes and he's hanging out with his buddy. And all these other Cathars are standing around in this area. And the Virgin Mary and baby Jesus show up. And St. Peter's looking at him and goes, you guys, this is it? This is what they're like. Yeah, that's that's you can see that, right? He's like, oh, no, I totally see it. That's that's the Virgin Mary and and little baby Jesus. But you guys see the other thing, right? And what St. Peter realized, no one else could see this. Both Mary and Jesus had devil horns. So he knows this is not the real Blessed Virgin Mary. But the Cathars are like, no, 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 they don't see the horns. No, 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 this is actual vision. So what he does is he has some sacramental bread on him. And he asks the Virgin Mary, well, this is his quote, if you're the mother of God, adore your son, unquote. He wanted her to take the sacrament, which is the bread supposed to symbolize the flesh of Jesus and you eat it, and gives her the piece of bread to eat, to take that sacrament. And she won't because it's the devil and she runs away. And all of the Cathars there realize that this, not, this was not the Blessed Virgin Mary. It was actually the devil and they all immediately become Catholic again. It's an interesting story. I was only able to find one source of it. When I was reading articles about the painting, it would refer me to a book 
that was like fifty dollars. The ebook version was fifty dollars. It's normally like one hundred fifty dollars. It was talking about the life of Saint Peter. So it's possible that Atlas Obscura got this from the book, but I couldn't afford the book to verify it. But it's more information than what we were getting with everything else, which was basically like I don't know. There's this painting that they found that had the Virgin Mary. And it would make sense if the context of it was lost over time. If this story became limited over time, I'm not saying they had to buy the ebook back in the 1500s, but if over time, if the story was so rare, I could only find one source of it, and everyone else just said it, it's a painting, we think it's this. It would make sense that when people are going to visit the tomb, out of context, the picture of the Blessed Virgin Mary and baby Jesus with devil horns would make no sense. And it's possible that there were probably people working in that chapel who were completely unfamiliar with this story. And if they couldn't explain it, it just became the story of, I don't know, and then eventually they just said, paint it over. I'm tired of of not being able to answer questions. And then over the centuries, people just forgot about it altogether. But a fascinating story and one more piece of the puzzle. It does seem like the forces of evil can disguise themselves as holy icons. Not only can they, it seems like they do it quite often. So then you have to sit back and wonder how many visions from God are actually visions from the devil. I remember one thing I heard Really early on, I was probably in middle school. You know, my dad was a minister before he owned a morgue. But I remember one thing I learned really early on in middle school when I was going to church. The devil hears your prayers too. I thought it was really spooky. Because you may really want something. You may really want something to happen. And the devil may give it to you knowing that is not the path that you should be going down. So thank you so much for that story, Sad Paperclip. Again, it's very, very cool and creepy addition to the saga of can religious icons really be devils in disguise. Joe S., I'm going to go ahead and toss you the keys of the Carpenter Copter. We are leaving behind Italy. We are headed on out to jolly old England. (laughs) Joe's flying us over the quaint little households of England. This is one of those stories where we don't have a name. This is an anonymous story. So we're going to call this guy Paul. And we don't really have a time period for when this story starts as well. Uh, Mid-80s, maybe? So we have some real wiggly stuff in the beginning. But I think the story builds to a point that it's definitely worth telling and examining. We're in England, and there's a little eight-year-old boy. We're going to call him Paul. He has a terrible fever. Ugh. And he's rolling around in his bed. And his parents are like, we don't know what to do. We've tried everything. And his parents are super worried. I mean, this kid is burning up. And they call 999. That's the emergency phone line over in England and Wales and stuff like that. And they're like, listen, here's what you need to do. Get a bathtub. Get the coldest water possible. Throw some ice cubes in it. And dunk your kid in the bathtub. I don't know if that's the best advice. I don't know if they just going to send an ambulance out there, but that's their first advice. So the parents draw the really cold bathtub, fill it full of ice, pick up little Paul, and submerge him into this ice-cold water. And Paul says, I remember originally I just felt freezing cold. Freezing cold. But when they submerged my body into the water, I was engulfed in flames. I felt just Every pore of my body was just burning hot. And I instantly went unconscious. He says I felt a pop 
in the center of my brain, and then my eyes open. But not his physical eyes. He's floating above his body. He can feel himself completely disconnected from his little tiny body, submerged in the ice-cold bath. And he's looking up at what should be the ceiling of the bathroom, but what he really sees is a vast, unending desert. And he's looking at this landscape, and he goes, it looked like Mars. It's the only thing his little eight-year-old brain could compare it to. I thought I was on Mars. He's looking at this unending horizon, and then he hears a click. And not too far off in the distance, he sees an explosion. And he's just watching flame and smoke dance in the middle of this desert. And he's watching it for what seems like hours. He feels another pop. And the next thing he knows, he's back in his body. He's still in the bathtub. And he is then rushed to the hospital. He said he had a really bad flu. He had the worst fever. They took him to the emergency room. Jump ahead to the year 2006. Afghanistan. Paul is in a Humvee along with fellow soldiers. They're driving down a pre-designated road. This is a road that the military has said this is as safe as it's going to get. This place is swept for IEDs. There's none out here. You can travel down this road with relative ease. He says, we're driving down this road, and I can't explain it, but I tell the driver, stop. Driver looks at him, stops. What's going on? What's going on, Paul? Paul sits there, and he looks out at this landscape. He goes, there's a bomb on that road. Right in front of us, there's a bomb over there. It's an interesting thing. I imagine soldiers would be extremely superstitious people. You'd have those rituals that you did on that certain day. You tied your shoes, first left foot, then your right foot, and that's the day that the bullet hit your helmet. It should have killed you. But it was a miracle that it didn't. So you always put your shoes on that way. I imagine that soldiers are very, very superstitious people. So you're driving down this road that you know is constantly swept for IEDs. There's not an IED on this road. This is a pre-designated road. It's always swept. And of any places, this should be the safest. But when someone says, stop the car, I have a funny feeling about this road. You're going to stop the car. He goes, there's an IED up there. And he says they got out, cautiously approached the area. There they see a freshly placed improvised explosive device. He said it was big enough that it would have completely vaporized the vehicle. They would have all been dead. And when they discover the IED, they call it in to get it diffused. He's sitting in that Humvee. And he remembers that night floating out of his body as a child. He can't explain what happened or how it happened. But he knows that vision he had as a child was his death as an adult. Fascinating, fascinating story. This is one of those stories where you just kind of sit back and go, what happened? Like, the connection between the two events, almost dying and seeing his death. It's so, it's just, to me, it's one of those stories I read it and I immediately was like, I gotta tell you guys about this story. I gotta tell you guys about this story. 
because it makes no sense and it makes all the sense. It makes no sense as to how it could have happened, but it makes sense that what if when we're at the edge of death, where we're about to push through that veil, we see all deaths. I, I I don't know. I mean, I could almost hypothesize about it just over and over again, but it's like he was, because he saw his own death. It's not like he saw himself get warned. He's almost dying as a kid. He sees his death in the future, but he's able to prevent that from his vision as a kid. If he didn't have that fever, they would have driven right over that IED. Not only did he save his own life, but he saved the lives of the other men. Did the other men in that vehicle have dreams when they were children maybe not the extreme fever but maybe just a normal dream that they forgot they woke up and they never remembered how was he warned did the fever spark something in his brain that allowed him to see through time and this story has i mean what if the driver wasn't superstitious or paul didn't speak up he's thinking i don't want to be a weirdo like, uh, maybe I'm just... Or maybe he was distracted that day. And he wasn't thinking back to that childhood memory. How many times have we not followed our gut instinct? Now, a lot of times I have a gut instinct to not fly on a plane. Every time I get on a plane, I don't, I'm like, oh man, this is the time that plane's going to go down. And I start to get a little panicked, and then I just go, ah, screw it. And I just put on my headphones and start listening to Letters to Cleo or something, and then just ignore it all. But And it's never happened, right? So, I mean, his gut instinct must have been far stronger than that. But what if he ignored it? And they got vaporized. He still would have seen his death, but he wouldn't have been alive to tell us about it. It's just so fascinating to think the difference between a Humvee full of soldiers safely making it back to base or ending up as twisted steel and dead bodies. The only difference between those two outcomes was the fever dream of an eight-year-old boy, barely clinging to life as he saw a vision, and more importantly, listening to that vision. DeadRabbitRadio at gmail.com is going to be our email address. You can also hit us up at facebook.com slash deadrabbitradio. TikTok is at deadrabbitradio. Dead Rabbit Radio is the daily paranormal conspiracy and true crime podcast. You don't have to listen to it every day. I'm glad you listened to it today. Have a great one, guys.